0: Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your week in sports cars listener Q&A driven episode. I am Marshall Pruitt. That is Graham Goodwin. He is back and finally cooled down from a very toasty visit to a controversial end to at least in one class. The FI World Endurance Championship season. We have Petit Le Mans, IMSA's season finale taking place. As we record here, Thursday morning, my time in California, Thursday evening is in the UK. Before we get into our usual categories, Graham, of WEC, ACO, ELMS, Asian Lamar Series, and whatnot, IMSA, other goodies, what should we talk about here to open? Should we broach the Corvette changes? Should we get into our man, Pat Long? Where should oh, we go? All of the
1: zip. I mean, all of the above. I mean, first things first, Pat Long. Uh, so we're we recording this MP just, at, what, half an hour after um, the official announcement that Pat will be stepping down um, from a 20-year pro career with Porsche, which has been just glittering. Le Mans class wins, class wins at Bathurst, 12 hours, IMSA titles, uh, wins at Daytona, Sebring, uh, GT World Challenge US titles um and by the way what just what a top bloke he is i mean it's a, it's a lovely guy always has been uh, a lovely guy and we'll move on now as a brand ambassador for porsche uh, uh north america and a competition advisor for porsche motorsports in the u.s uh so happily we'll keep that character and that talent um in the industry and in the sport but you know, in the wake of and Davidson Kazuki Nakajima just a week or so ago stepping down, in the wake of uh, Ollie Gavin earlier this year stepping down as a full season driver, there's one thing I would say that that, that slightly saddens me, and I know we've got fans trackside at uh, Road Atlanta. I just hope we're not going to miss the opportunities that we should be taking to reflect on the the depth of contribution that that these guys have made to the sport for a generation. Um, And certainly we're looking at ways we can mark that with Daily Sports Car, and I hope to be speaking to Pat in the coming days uh, to assist that. Um, But, you know, we've had too many top professionals over the last couple of years who've come to the end of long and successful careers effectively behind closed doors. Uh, So if you do get a chance and you're listening to this, do drop a note in. On social media. Uh, do give Pat the benefit of your recollections of his excellence over the last 20 years with just a glittering array of teams and, and, and principally GT machinery, but not always. Uh, am, am I right he won Petit Le Mans MP for Penske in the, uh, the RS Spider? I think seem to recall.
0: Struggling to remember if he was part of that winning entry, but was certainly was thinking, was- an important part <clears> of <throat> of that program also in prototypes and Daytona prototype with Alex Job yep. Uh Porsche powered mm-hmm. entry there, Crawford chassis, as I recall. Um, yeah, just in his career started as so many have in uh junior open wheel racing really came up in the UK racing, uh, junior open wheel yep. there with a lot of his friends, housemates and whatnot, whether it was Marino Franchitti, James Courtney, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, just was fortunate in my early reporting career, which would have been a couple years after he had joined Porsche, but fortunate to have gotten to know him <clears throat> and become pretty good friends with him away from the track, but also just to be here to watch the majority of his pro racing career, report on it. Had a nice little text exchange this morning, just congratulating him on a, uh amazing career and, Uh, It was kind of him just to mention that he appreciated the same thing I've appreciated. And that is for the two of us to get on the phone or do it in person and uh, have real conversations. And whether it was me saying, Hey, that move you pulled on so-and-so was complete BS uh, or, (laughs) or, or him reading something that I wrote and calling and pushing back and saying, I don't know what the heck is wrong with your eyes, but go get them checked because you're talking (laughs) at the backside of your, you name it. Just one of those things that you appreciate someone where you can have that relationship and be honest, whether it's positive or negative and know that you're good. And on top of all the amazing things he's done as a driver, uh, I'm glad to hear he will still be involved with Porsche. I don't know how frequently we will get to see him in IMSA or uh, similar paddocks. But I do hope that we don't see a a radical drop in his presence because the sport is certainly made better when he is in our presence.
1: So that's that one, MP. We've also had uh, well, effectively three announcements in one from Corvette Racing this afternoon um one of which is the confirmation i think you you'd actually already uh, written about this one for the first ever factory developed homologated gt3 from corvette racing which interestingly makes great play of the customer aspect of it it doesn't say anything at all in the release about um, about factory effort with that car so that's number one number two is confirmation that there will be a full season efforts in GTG pro the first season for that for this um how do we put it this uh, amended version of the gtlm car uh, for 2022 um and the at this point not a surprise but uh good news for anybody uh that does follow the fiwc and likes bright yellow american cars that will have a uh, GT Pro effort for the full season of the FIWEC. Perhaps the surprising part of the package is it's one car in each championship. But either way, it's by some distance the most ambitious uh, full season program we've seen from Corvette Racing in the history of ever, really.
0: Yeah, so they're going to be going on their first full time. European-slash-international sports car campaign with the Corvettes, so that's cool. Glad to see that we will have the uh, the fun pairing of Antonio Garcia and Jordan Taylor in GTD Pro. They certainly, as you mentioned, Graham, and for those who read the release, they said nothing about that GT3 car being their future in the sport. I would also say that you don't always need the words to be written to understand no. the decision. Why would they make a GT three version of the C eight if they had no intention of racing it as a factory in the future, knowing that in two or three days, the class that the C eight R competes in will disappear. IMS is giving them a bit of a, a pass and letting them detune or modify that car to compete in GTD Pro, all GT3-based competition. But we know for mm-hmm. sure IMSA's future is pure GT3. IMSA, I can guarantee you, will not give them a lifetime waiver to bring a GTLM car year after year after year to GTD Pro. And while there's not an exact timeline that's been confirmed in the FAWEC, we do know that there are changes afoot here going with gte what we've had for years now obviously with a split between gte pro and gte am two separate classes we know that the pro side will be going away and i think we can reasonably assume gt3 racing will become the norm as well in the very near future so you put 2020
1: 2024 that will be uh it'll be one more year of gte pro um two more years of gtem 2024 is when we understand there will be some form of gt3 based uh, wc class um, and that that is still envisaged that there will be no all pro uh, gt class for the wc so that, that's where we believe it is yes
0: yeah, so if we just think about corvette racing what they do here in america and have done for so many years If we think about how the Corvette road car is going on sale in Europe, the timing for all of this makes sense to send one car over on that WEC campaign next season and to plan for the future, which we're talking about going and competing at the 24 hours of Le Mans. Again, unconfirmed, but we, as you mentioned, 2024 is what we're thinking is going to be the, uh, the time where GT3 comes in. You can look at what is not written in the press release and go okay um we kind of see the roadmap here and always great to have a factory confirm it formally but i also at times giggle a little bit when you i or others write things where we say hey this is a thing that's happening and then you get the inevitable response of oh we'll, we'll see you know until the the factory <laughs> says it you know where and you go Okay man, uh, whatever that thing is inside you that, that feel needs to say that or cool do that, whatever. But um how's this has Corvette ever been a straight up manufacturer of customer cars in the motor racing space? Is this something where you we have fleets of Corvette C5s, fours, sixes and whatever's running around? No have cars been sold to privateers yes but have they ever been a volume producer uh, in a pro-am formula no well gee do we think that they just magically decided i eh, forget the the factory stuff we just want to make cars to sell to customers <sighs> anyways um graham goodwin you choose which categories we start with and i feel like we need to start with so where are we starting in the show brought to us by cooper tires the Justice Brothers in torontomotorsports.com. We're
1: going to start this week with Wreck Elms, and Aco in the wake of, as you quite rightly say, a fiery end to the FIWC last weekend in Bahrain.
0: (sighs) I did not know that Bahrain had dumpsters, much less ones that caught on fire so oh boy why uh why don't we crack this open our pal ricky zagata says hey graham heard something might have happened in gte pro (laughs) uh can you explain it to someone that uh, didn't watch the race and we got more questions and i'll I'll throw those at you as we move down the uh okay the list it it, it,
1: right it's a story that started Two weeks prior and ended with the final 10 minutes of a six-month season. Uh, and we can't really talk about the instant that Ricky's kind of edging towards rather than, without talking about the debacle of balance of performance. Uh, so we started the two weeks because we've had back-to-back races for the first time, by the way, in the WEC with Ferrari making it very clear that they were not happy about a pretty substantial hit they'd been given for their balance of performance for their GTE Pro and GTM uh, cars, although the two classes have different BOPs. And to be blunt, were showing their irritation uh, with a range of uh, activities, including not going out to practice for the first half hour, etc., etc., et, cetera, et cetera. Um, And much moaning was done and some of my journalistic colleagues as is their once um, took that bait and how terribly unfair it was and how completely hopeless it was etc etc and all the way through free practice we were seeing uh, GT Pro Ferraris behind the GTM Ferraris which was very odd bearing in mind the GTM Ferraris actually had a worse balance of performance than the Pro cars so mm. in my kind of barely developed um, reptile brain um, there were questions should we say definite questions about this uh, this one cruised on through, and we then had what I think I can describe as the worst GT Pro race we have ever had for the six hours of Bra Reign, the first episode of the two, where the two Ferraris cruised around in formation, the uh, two Porsches basically backed off their pace and cruised around in formation, uh, a comfortable distance ahead, and that was it. It was f- funerally dull, absolutely terrible race, shame on all concerned. There's then a response, which is the uh, the Ferraris were given back half of what they lost in terms of uh, turbo boost um, for the eight hours of Bahrain, the season closing race, the following weekend, and. Uh, again, we were being told both publicly and indeed privately when speaking to people at Ferrari how they had absolutely no chance. There was no chance whatsoever that in any way would those cars be in any way competitive with the uh, then seemingly all dominant Porsches. We then had one of the best GT Pro races we've seen in many a year uh, with cars able to respond to. Uh, good fuel strategy. Tire uh, use is always a big issue at uh, Bahrain. It's going to want those weird circuits. There was passing. There was a bit of bumping. There's a bit of boring. Uh, there were periods where uh, the Ferrari was able to catch and pass the, their Porsche and vice versa. Um, finishing off the, the, the point, by the way, about uh, the state of balance of performance, pretty clear that had they been given everything back, this would not have been close. Those Ferraris would have been able to dominate that race um and that was somewhat underlined by the fact that the third fastest gte lap of the race was done not by a pro car but by an am car with a worse balance of performance and equally well i think i'm right i'd have to check it but i think that car was also capable of doing 35 laps um on fuel where the other cars were capable of doing 33. so the BOP was, I think, not a million miles away from being pretty pretty spot on perfect. Great race, uh, all credit to the driver's concerns. 12 minutes or so from the end of the race, uh, we had Michael Christensen, ex-world champion, being chased down by, Alessandro Pierguidi, ex-world champion, and uh, one of the LMP2 cars, from memory the United car, coming into the final turn for a particular lap, got involved. Uh, it all got a bit confusing. Michael Christensen checked up because the uh, LMP2 was where he wanted to be, and was then hit pretty squarely in the back uh, by the Ferrari. Half spun the car out. Uh, Ferrari continues on into the lead with something like 10 minutes to go. There's a pretty rapid response from race control that the 51 must give the lap, uh, the uh, the uh, position back to the Porsche. Uh, They then come around to complete the lap. And indeed, Pierre Guidi, on the start-finish straight, checks up, I think, seeding something like eight seconds at that point in slowing down to allow the Porsche to pit. The Porsche, uh, Porsche to take the lead. The Porsche, though, pits for fuel. He either needed it that lap, he certainly needed it before the end of the race, and then it gets confusing. And the reason it gets confusing is that we, in TV... And you at home did not hear what the teams heard, which was Eduardo Freitas, uh, after having, I believe, having um, discussed and cleared this action with the stewards, uh, then issued an order that the order to give the place back was rescinded, that he did not need to give that place back. The following lap, the Ferrari pitted AF had turned that Ferrari around quickly enough that he emerged ahead of Michael Christensen. That was all she wrote. They finished in, um, you know, uh, rapid formation, three seconds apart. Alessandro Pierguidi, James Calado, are the 2021 uh, uh, FI World Endurance Championship GT drivers' world champions. Ferrari are the manufacturers' world champions, and Porsche came away with nothing. Uh, we then get a protest from Porsche. Uh, And they uh, rather oddly, it seemed at the time, protested that the decisions were made by race control were without the approval of um, the stewards. That was rejected in pretty rapid order uh, by the stewards who said, yes, we were consulted. We consulted at every point. We consulted with the help of uh, audio and video evidence. And and the required data. That appeal was rejected. Porsche then initially said we'll take this to the Court of Appeal and have now decided on the basis of legal advice that they will not do so. Ferrari are indeed world champions. Their two drivers are world champions. (sighs) That's what happened. What do I think? I'm very irritated indeed we didn't hear the rescinding of that order. We came into the end of that race without knowing what the instructions of teams were given. My view is I think that was a mistake. There was no advantage gained by the Porsche in taking fuel. The Ferrari had to fuel as well before the end of the race. Um, I've not spoken to Eduardo Freitas or to the stewards about this post-race, but it doesn't seem to me natural justice that's a mistake. And by the way, I'm completely convinced it was a mistake from Alessandro Pierre I don't think he meant to hit him. I think Alessandro is wise enough to know that at that stage of any race, that would have been a penalty, um, and certainly at the, in, the, in these circumstances. So I'm unsure as to why the instruction was given to rescind the order, other than in the moment. In the moment, you would not expect him to stop on start, finish straight, allow the Porsche to, to uh, fuel, and pull out ahead of him. Certainly, though, when the Ferrari also pitted for fuel, in my view the correct decision would have been to reinstate that order that he must allow the Porsche to pass. Advantage was taken from contact. Uh, That is against the rules. And there was an opportunity for the use of the General Sporting Code to allow that to happen. I think that was a mistake. I think that is something that has uh, confused and irritated people watching that race. And it certainly confused and irritated Porsche. Porsche. Um, would add as well by the way in the immediate aftermath of the race, the expression on Alessandro Pierre Greedy's face was such that my reading of his expression was he thought he'd made a mistake that could, 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 would have cost them the world championship he was not glorifying it in any way he thought he'd made a massive error and that they were about to be t- have their world championship taken away from them I'll, I'll put to one side Neil Yarney's behaviour and um, after the race in uh, approaching them in front of a live TV interview and being somewhat less than professional. I've got a lot of respect for Neil. He's an excellent driver, but that did not show him in his best light. Um, But for me, (sighs) justice has not been served there. Do I think Porsche would have won that race? The real problem is we will now never know. It doesn't matter whether or not at that point, Alessandro Bieguri had the, the quicker car. It doesn't matter about uh, the reputation of Michael Christensen and or Alessandro Pierre-Greedy in that situation. I think it would have been you know, very close indeed. I think it would have been tough for Pierre-Greedy to pass him cleanly. Uh, that much is absolutely clear. But we were relishing that that probability. We were talking on and off mic in the TV booth about, you know, we can't wait for what happens on the last lap here because it's been one hell of a season with these uh, four cars. It was an excellent example, apart from the six hours of Bahrain, in just how good a class can be with very few cl- very few cars involved. Uh, and unfortunately, we, they, and you out there listening and watching, were robbed of that possibility. Uh, I think it was a mistake. It's a big mistake. Uh, I'm not quite sure exactly who you attribute that mistake to, whether or not it is race control or the stewards for not... Um, basically making something right out of what was a clear wrong. But in my view, I think you have to look a long way before that, that uh, incident, the last 10 minutes and all the way through the previous two weeks, which effectively were setting up something with just, just bad tempered. I'd say pretty poor sportsmanship to be blunt from the Ferrari organization. They clearly, very clearly tried to game the, Uh, Balance performance process, which tends to be pretty obvious if you've only got two players. Um, They gave us a pretty terrible race for the six hours. And I think through the mistakes that were made by the powers that be were effectively able to steal a world championship there. And I can't get away MP from thinking, if they'd been successful in what they were trying to do for the previous 10 days on balance of performance they would have been handed wrongly a huge advantage in performance for the final uh, final race i've been saying it all the way through the 10 days when people have been asking me you know online on social media on air um whether or not they there's disgraceful act of uh, you know treasonous behavior on balance performers to hand Porsche, the win, blah blah blah. It was always crap, to be honest with you, it was, it was always going to be that they were going to be a lot closer than they were telling the, the wider world that they were going to be. That is part of the game. They got that bit right. they got this bit wrong and it's left a pretty nasty taste in the mouth. That's where we are really. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does, and we've got a couple more uh, shades here uh, to get into. I'll I'll throw this in quickly and then hand the topic back. This just saddens me, frustrates me, does all kinds of things to uh, tickle my sense of, of fair play and how that has not been protected and preserved by the FIEWEC. I am not I have nothing critical overly critical to say about Ferrari, Ferrari drivers, Porsche, Porsche drivers, you the aforementioned nope. BOP note, it it's well spotted, well referenced and whatnot, but there's a, a really simple premise that takes place here. And it is in your average endurance race, there's go well, in most motor races, but in this situation, in the average endurance race There are numerous points during the event, could be practice, could be the race, could be qualifying, where car-to-car contact takes place. And Eduardo Freitas and the race control team, they are the referees. They are the judges. They are the police. They are tasked with adjudicating what is right, what is wrong. They obviously have very serious rules written very clear frameworks of how to act when they see uh, something done that is wrong improper errant boneheaded you name it all kinds of things that take place some of them are just oops some of them are intentional Uh, some of them are really grimy all manner of things that they have to look at and assess like police observing a race looking for penalties does this one warrant a ticket do we do we pull you over for this one and do you get fined do you get a slap on the wrist you just get a warning again it's a dynamic thing that goes on totally get that totally understand it no referee team is going to make perfect calls every single time so we understand all these things these are again nothing new here where this just stands out to me as so frustrating Graham is I have lost faith in the FIWEC to do the right thing that is obvious not the hard thing not the oh boy there are 27 ways to look at this and 27 ways to possibly rule which one do we go with no this seemed to me to be really clear of course there were some shades of of weirdness of the Porsche pitting and was there adequate time to give the spot back and all the stuff that we've seen read about comments that have been presented but i look at the race control team at IMSA at WEC at wherever as you are the judge you are the final arbiter of right and wrong and are you preserving that are you maintaining that and in this instance They did not, and it has huge ramifications. So I'm going to get to uh, at Zanyan LP's question here in a moment, but which takes this to the next logical step of the conversation. But very simple. Even in the absence of, say, a specific ruling clause that says, if this happens, we as race control are allowed to do A, B, or C in reaction to it, to penalize whomever or whatever, even in the absence of specifically outlined guidance, every rule book, every sporting series in the world has some form of in the best interest of the sport clause that they can enact. So if by chance there was nothing specifically written in the rule book to allow Eduardo and his team to rule and correct what was stolen by Ferrari. They certainly have the ability to walk into the, in the best interest of the sport to preserve right and wrong. What took place here, 10 minutes left in a season, six months, we've been racing all over the planet, 24 hours, eight hours, six We've been doing this nonstop to get to this conclusion, to do the one thing all of these manufacturers are here for, and that is to win the... Championships. Hopefully you can do teams, drivers, manufacturers, cats, dogs, you name it. This is the one thing they come here to do. You've done this for a whole year, whole season, 10 minutes to run, and in what looked to me to be a fairly blatant uh, hit, you've knocked the leading car out of position and therefore changed not only the outcome of the race, but also the championship itself. So we're going to get to Zanion's question here in a moment to keep going we'll talk about some of the, the other things you've mentioned about did they have time to give it back and was the call rescinded and all yep. these things. But nonetheless, I don't care about any of those things, Graham. The, the WEC, judges, police, whatever you want to call them, in charge of preserving what we believe is proper ruling – of right-wrong. Wrong wrong was done. Something was stolen by one team slash manufacturer that should not have been. The series has had has the ability to correct that and they've chosen not to. Um, I almost don't care how they rule here going forward because I have lost faith that they understand not just right and wrong but what they have signaled going forward if if the team manufacturer whatever running second 10 minutes to go in next year's season finale does not pull the same maneuver and knock whomever it is out of first and go on to win the race win the championship uh, i will be disappointed because clearly the wc has signaled they endorse this take it to court hey your honor let me introduce this 10 minutes of video footage to close the 2021 <laughs> season finale uh any suggestion that this is not endorsed by race control um w- would be comical because clearly they told us at the end of 2021 that we can do it we've just done it it's these kinds of big picture things graham where i go i don't fully understand if they know what they have given up here
1: uh, i think i think you know natural justice uh, seems to be the kind of phrase that that probably best suits where many of us are actually left after this one. It's not a, a hit on Ferrari. And as I said, I'll say it again. Do I think he meant to make contact and for that to happen? Absolutely, 100%. 200% fundamentally don't. Um, but given the opportunity once the decisions, plural, were taken, of course they're going to take it. Um, and yes, the level of irritation and indeed a readily apparent anger on the part of the three Porsche drivers, and I spoke to all three briefly, or was spoken at by at least one of them um, post-race, uh, I completely understand that as well. Uh, and I say again, it's not a race win. It's a world championship win. It's a world championship win for two of the drivers and for the manufacturer. Those things matter. And it, it is a source of... <sighs> Confusion here. Another next kind of question comes from uh, Zanian LP, and and, you know what exactly is Porsche protesting? I didn't understand why they protested about the method of decision making, but they will know their parameter. Did they make a mistake in that protest? It's possible they did.
0: And that was the question here from Zanian: What exactly was Porsche protesting? Sounded it was like uh, sounded like it was a decision process not involving the stewards and not Ferrari keeping the position. Looking at the rejection, it sounds like their appeal doesn't really make any sense.
1: It, it didn't. Uh, to me, it didn't make sense. And uh, m- maybe they'd taken advice. Remember, with these appeals processes, there was a pretty short time in which you can do that, okay? So maybe they thought... They believe, pretty clearly they believe that uh, that Eduardo uh, Freitas and his team took the decision without reference to the stewards. And they believe that that was incorrect. That appears to have been an incorrect assumption on their part. Now, were they misinformed, um, wrongly advised? Should they have actually appealed the initial um, behaviour from... Uh, the the initial incident, maybe they should have done. Maybe what's actually happened here is simpler, but also more complex than we think in that they've appealed uh, the wrong thing. They've appealed the way in which race control dealt with it rather than appealing that there was no, no, effectively no sanction placed on accidental contact that affected the result of that race. I'm not pointing the finger at Porsche and saying, they, they effectively threw away their own championship. But there is some evidence to that uh, leads you to believe that perhaps the error here was made in not protesting the correct thing. Uh, it, it is a very messy way to have dealt with it. And you'd like to think that all parties involved in this, and by that I mean race control, the stewards, uh, both the teams and manufacturers, and for that matter the rule makers themselves, should be sitting down and saying fundamentally we're heading into an era where there are six, seven, eight manufacturers going to be involved here Um, we cannot have a situation where a world championship is decided in this way again uh, where we've got a balance of performance class with lots of different cars coming to it, hugely professional uh, a big step up going to be due here in terms of the, the way in which this is pushed, promoted, marketed, televised, shown to a you would guess, much wider audience. There's signs already in the paddock of other parties showing their face in that paddock that indicate we're going to get a bigger audience moving forward for the FIWEC. This has got to be sorted. You know, this this was not the correct way to finish a, I'll say it for about the 15th time, FIA World Championship. I mean, the thing here, imagine? Graham,
0: is, is why on earth... Well if someone needs to protest yeah that that is that's the first indicator that there's something wrong here correct and i don't want to keep yep. beating the same but it's like nope. do we need to try and compel you through appeals and whatever sanctioning body to do the right thing again this is not one of those he said she said you know the, the shared blame there's nothing this is not something that's hard to figure out anybody that knows sport would look at that someone who doesn't know motor racing could be shown that clip given the context full season long championship the car in the lead is going to win the championship in 10 minutes time potentially at least at this stage they're in front and have the the right or ability to try and win the race that was taken away from them through a fairly clumsy hit and Do you think that is something that should be corrected? Should the, the offending party be allowed to go on and take a championship after hitting the one, the driver, the car, the manufacturer in front with 10 minutes to go in the season? I think you'd get 99% of folks saying, no, absolutely not. And the other 1% would be Ferrari fans who just don't care. Well, uh,
1: let's well, I mean, uh, that's, that's, that's put it this way. I have sat in that press room and in my commentary booth for hours after races over the last few years almost comedically so we've had this thing about race results being decided hours later here's one that should have been and wasn't and actually almost the most shocking thing about that incident and about the way that played out was that we didn't get actually affirmative action uh, from the powers that be i mean i think you know we we're all sitting there post-race expecting that to happen expecting somebody from the wec to come in and give us a revised result sheet we didn't see that we've seen time and time again post-race 30 second penalty this kind of penalty advised blah 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 under let's be blunt at times significantly less clear evidence that there was something amiss in terms of the, the way in which that uh, that race actually emerged. And it, it does leave a slightly bitter taste in the mouth. I'm, you know, I'm not a fan in either direction. I don't hold a candle for Porsche. I don't hold a candle for Ferrari. They're both epically capable manufacturers and fantastically capable teams in the FIWC. You just want to see fair play. And the thing that keeps screaming at me here, MP, is not the reaction of Neil Gianni, not the reaction post-race of the other drivers involved from Porsche. It was Alessandro Pierre Guidi's face post-race being interviewed by Louise Beckett, and his, his reaction was not that of someone expected to be crowned a world champion in the next three minutes. It was someone who expected that to be taken away from him because he'd made a mistake. That's that was what his face was telling me. That's what I think he believed. I believed it. I think Martin Haven and Alan Mcnish in the TV booth believed the same. And I wasn't seeing anything different when I went back to the press room and saw the you know, the um, the the full season guys that were there waiting, effectively, for a revision to the result that never came. I, I, there's not much more you can say really at this stage, is there? Other than. <sighs> We've not really seen an explanation as to why justice was not done. I suspect the answer, if I asked for it, would be we saw the Ferrari um, slow, very radically indeed, to allow the Porsche to uh, to pass. He didn't make that pass. He pitted. The argument, I guess, is that he didn't need to pit then, that he pitted for fuel um, while the, the Ferrari was passing. Effectively, the Ferrari... Gave the opportunity to make that pass. The Porsche opted not to take that opportunity. At that point, the Ferrari has ceded the time, but it's still quite aside from anything else. It just looked wrong. It looked wrong. You know, I expected once the Ferrari had actually come back out of the pits uh, from fueling that we would have seen that pop up on screen again. The Ferrari must give position up. They've both done the same thing. They've come in, they've both taken fuel to the end of the race. The advantage is still to the Ferrari. That advantage should not have been there and was taken as a result of the unfortunate contact. At that point, at that point, with what, six, seven minutes to go, I genuinely expected to see back up on the screen uh, that the Ferrari should give that place up. I suspect they did as well. I strongly suspect, no matter what was said, um, uh, during that, that fueling cycle, we, we, we know Because I've spoken to several teams, including to Ferrari, including to Porsche, that the instruction was given that that order was rescinded. I expected that order to be put back into place once it had been established, the advantage still stood. That's what I expected. And it didn't come. That's it's disappointing, I think, is the answer, because then what we could have had at least is, you know, uh, the race back up and running again for the next you know, the last couple of laps of you know what has been a, a really good season. it's it's just a shame. We came into that race MP with the astonishing situation where we had one point in it for the drivers' championship and one point in it for the manufacturers championship, but in opposite directions. One point in it to the Ferrari drivers, Uh, in in, in the Drivers' Championship. At one point in it, for Porsche, in the Manufacturers' Championship. You you couldn't write that storyline. Absolutely astounding. And yet, we're here talking about, you know, a decision because of accidental contact. And that is a shame. Uh, And I hope, I hope, that everybody involved, like I said a little earlier, takes the opportunity to review that decision-making process to understand how and why we came to a position where everything we're now talking about is about one decision and not about what was it, I don't know, uh, 60 hours of racing in the season. You know, that's that's the disappointment here, and the fact that fundamentally you believe, and I have to tell you I believe as well, that the opportunity for Porsche to win that championship was
0: taken away from them. Joe Nowotny asks, SRO taking a role with the Asian Le Mans series, is that a sign we should see it is less commercial than other WEC or ELMS products. Uh, Damien Peachman asks, how will the tie-up between the SRO and ACO work with the Asian Lamassiers, et cetera? And I'll just mention that we've probably got a little over 20 minutes left for the entire show. And <laughs> right. we have pretty much <laughs> covered one. No, no, this is the topic. Like, everything else is, is one or two. Uh, we're, we're downshifting after uh, the big right. topic. Uh,
1: I'll deal with it rapidly. Uh, so first things first, this was not a surprise to me. I'd sort of guessed it, is the straight answer from the range of meetings that have been taking place. What I believe this is about, I think it's it's a tip, it's a it's a kind of it's a deal that clearly both parties, the ACO and SRO, clearly think there's something in it for them. What might be in it for SRO? SRO effectively gets a free run in the Asian marketplace to re-establish GT world challenge Asia, which has not raced for two years. So that's going to be important for them because it's got significantly more difficult. There is, there is a significant new player in the Chinese marketplace in GT racing, which means that the, uh, the available scope of drawing people back into GT world challenge Asia is now smaller. Um, Asian Le Mans series had absolutely established itself as a credible player in the marketplace, albeit you've got this winter-summer split between the two series, which had been negotiated by Benjamin at SRO and Surreal, who was then at Asian Le Mans series, to divide those two calendars. But clearly, what SRO get here is they effectively remove a competitor in that marketplace from effect- from taking on the responsibility for Asian Le Mans series. What do the ACO get? Not officially confirmed, but pretty clear to me and to others in the press room at Bahrain that this is all about GT3 in 2024 and balance of performance. What the ACO have got at the moment is a massive technical challenge of balancing some very different uh, machines coming forward with the LMH machines and the LMDH machines. Balance of performance is the absolute key to whether or not we've got success, challenge, or failure for the top class in ACR rules racing move, moving forward. What you therefore don't need is exactly what we did get, oddly enough, with the p- position I've just explained with Porsche and Ferrari as a row about GT balanced performance. Why do you need to do that if you've got somebody who already does it and does it well? That's SRO. So my guess, and it is a, an educated guess, is this is about we take something here, we give something there. I expect there to be a near future confirmation that SRO and ACO will collaborate on GT3 balance of performance when that comes to ACO rules racing. In terms of the other question that's asked there uh, by uh, Damien about how the uh, Asia Le Mans series grid grid is shaping up, pretty good. Um, It's not going to be a spectacular number of prototypes this year. I think we'll be a combined grid, in the prototypes and uh, the low double figures, but it'll be a pretty good grid of uh, GT3 cars. I think we're looking at, at somewhere between the 25 to 30 car mark for the combined Asia Le Mans series grid coming into uh, the season next, uh, next year. And we'll wait and see how that one actually plays out. I've got a lot more I can't tell you in terms of some of the teams that are coming. There will be some returning teams. There will be some new teams in every class um i can tell you that for certain and there will be some new cars as well so all sorts of possibilities less in terms of the probabilities at the moment but we'll start to see things emerging in the the coming days and weeks coming together for what i hope will be another exciting grid for that four race two weekend Uh, Championship, but that's what we can tell you right now. No major surprises. I think there were others in the room when we got the announcement that were more surprised than I was. Um, it was good to see Stefan Rattel there. I think, and I've always thought, that the very best way forward for sports car racing is in alliancing. It's something I've been very boring about when I've spoken to ACO, to Stefan's people, to IMSA. The process of convergence was the first example of that coming together. That's only been a good thing to this point if we can start to work towards that with SRO as well and draw in this this new era of GT3 being part of
0: the global sports car. And, well, that's the end of the episode. Why? Well, I don't actually know. I do know that we recorded about an hour and 20 minutes worth of an episode. And we got into IMSA and a little bit of general and fun. And for reasons, I'm not probably able to fully answer, uh, computer saved what you just heard and then left the last 40 minutes or so blank. And it did not appear to do that while it was recording, but this is what we have. So I apologize as we need to cite our dear pal Juan Montoya. Once again, it is what it is. So uh, that was the amazing Graham Goodwin. This is the less amazing Marshall Pruitt. I want to say a massive thank you to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and you for sending in your questions. And we will do our best to pick up where we, I don't know, left off. We did record that bit, but we'll see if we can wheel some of those questions back in for our post petite leman and whatever else episode next week